0: You're listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.
1: Do you realize there could be a curse on your family because of your ancestors? Do you realize there could be a curse over your life because of things that have been said to you or, or things that people put on you, assignments from the enemy, there's assignments from the enemy? But do you know you can break that? You can break that in the power of the Holy Spirit and reject that in the name of Jesus.
0: Today, Pastor Steve continues his series on the book of Revelation. At The Road, our vision is to raise up wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on The Road, visit theroad.org. We hope you are encouraged by today's message from pastor teacher, Steve Holt.
1: Hey, good morning everyone, welcome to The Road. We have uh, something we're going to start with here this morning. that's kind of an emergency situation um, that's come up. Uh, Victor, many of you know Victor Marks and all things possible. Um, he's been asked to be a part of kind of brokering a situation with some Sunni leaders. And it's going to happen this week. And I feel like we should pray and anoint him and pray for him. So, Victor, would you come up and share with the group kind of what you're going into and how we can pray?
2: Hey, so thank y'all. Uh, for those of you who have already prayed for us, for those of you who follow us on social media and Facebook, obviously I can't put on social media, you know, details because you know people die. But I'll just share two minutes with y'all this morning on uh, the opportunity God has provided. I mean, how many of you know... Everything that's going on in the Middle East and Iraq and ISIS is a mess. Regime. Yep. Yeah. And yet, this type of such pronounced evil has given an opportunity. So, in the middle of all this evil, and what social media is, or the media is not ever going to tell you is God's doing great things over there. Great things. And here's one is that, uh, you know, in Islam, there's the Sunni side and the Shia, right? So, Sunnis is predominantly being blamed for ISIS. The upcrop because it, the extremism comes out of there to some degree. Well, the head of the Sunni, I'll say just the Sunni side, the person who's in charge of all of the mosque, not only in Iraq but also the Levant, has agreed to meet with us, and um, he wants to find out about a recipe for gumbo. So I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give my family secret. I thought it was John Balaya. Oh, we have to work up to that. So, uh, we have to meet a neutral country. His convoy was attacked three weeks ago by ISIS with an RPG. He wasn't in the vehicle that got hit, but he is, he has publicly turned and denounced everything that ISIS is doing. How many of you know that's a good thing? It's a very good thing. Uh, so they want to smoke him the other gentleman is someone we've been developing a relationship with for 8 months and, um, and multiple things and, but he's the scholar, the most respected scholar at the university theological level who trained uh, the senior leadership of ISIS in Islamic law he's the one, for, they trained on him for 5 years, he signed their PhD I've never really told this publicly because of the The risk involved. Well, he's become a very dear friend, and and he's the one that actually led us to an abandoned church that had about 13 families that had fled ISIS. And he goes, can you help them? All those families now, as of about three weeks, are all out of Iraq. Persecuted Christians out. Safe, nice place. It's good. Um, so God is doing amazing things. We have an associate team right now on the front lines, advancing into Mosul with the Peshmerga, showing families and people the love of God, praying, doing medical court. But it's very, very dangerous. He just sent me a, a private email last night. There are more details, but I won't say But 13 ISIS guys tried to break their perimeter, the breach through a trench. 10 of them didn't make it. Three of them did. And then didn't make it. And uh, I think we sustained one injury. And these are, you know, this is the reality of evil being manifested, right? So God has given us a a small window in time to make a difference on a strategic level uh, with what could happen. And here's the outcome of this meeting that we're hoping for. One, we're going to talk about a religious rights resolution that allows us to start rebuilding Christian churches in Iraq without the fear of overt persecution and retribution, at least from the higher up. You're always going to have people who want to, you know, whack you. Two <laughs> hey, welcome to Iraq. The other thing, what was the other thing? I know that was the big one. Oh, here's the other thing, is we're putting together, we're going to film this meeting, y'all, and then it's going to be edited and then distributed among the Islamic social media networks and it's the head of the Sunni Salafist professor and me talking and denouncing and giving a message of countering the messaging of ISIS's ability to recruit that will move the needle not only there but in this world and here in the U.S. for those that are being radicalized so to say we need prayer is an understatement we uh, you know, I, I, I head out with my team this week. And if you catch them in the lobby, don't ask for details, I'm not going to tell you. But once we're in the meeting, I'm going to make it known social media-wise and email so that y'all can pray. Because once we're in it, them getting to us, you know. Now once we're out, that's a whole different story. For me, this is the last thing I say. It changes our family's dynamics. D- do you understand? Our head of security in Iraq Uh, who's the former commander of the counterterrorism unit of all of Iraq, he goes, he goes, uh, ooh, this changes a lot for you. I'm like, thanks. A lot. But you know what? A lot of people have come before us called Christians, right? Who risked everything and there are people that are still risking. We're doing it for the cause of the gospel to advance Christ, the kingdom, and to help people that are being oppressed and held captive. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, you guys. Um, I want to open before we get into the book of Revelation again this morning uh, about the election because they did mention it and the issue of Supreme Court justices um, that became a pretty viral video um, that my son Isaac made and he turned a 23-minute message into a 6-minute message and, uh, and it was watched by a lot of people. But all of the major networks, media outlets, political experts and historians are calling this 2016 election of Donald Trump to the presidency of the United States, quote, the most shocking upset American politics has ever seen. There's no doubt that that America is in a state of change. 80% of the people who voted for Mr. Trump said in interviews that we were on the wrong path morally economically, and spiritually. I shared with you a couple weeks ago in that message that before God brings his wrath, before God brings his judgment, he warns his prophets. He warns his leaders. And I gave you the example of Abraham and Sodom. And I remember Billy Graham saying many years ago that if God doesn't judge America, then he needs to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he came to Abraham, if you recall, and Abraham pleaded with God if there were 50 righteous, if there were 40 righteous, if there were 30 righteous, if there were 20 righteous, and then finally if there were 10 righteous, and there wasn't, and so he judged Sodom. i share with you that God sometimes changes his mind. And (laughs) as one who's who's reformed light theologically. I can't explain. That's above my pay grade to understand how God who knows all and I believe he's sovereign over all changes his mind. But he definitely did not change his mind with Sodom. I believe, it's my conviction as your pastor, that God changed his mind on America. People have been animated, frustrated, frustrated, since the election, but I want to talk about the fact that I believe hundreds of thousands of people prayed before this election, and it was the one thing that I continued to hold on to during the midst of everything, and Donald Trump was not my first choice in the primaries. But I saw report after report in the media, on Facebook, uh, messagings that I got, friends that I have, that almost every major group that believes anyway, anyhow, about prayer was praying, some for 40 days and 40 nights. And we had a 24-hour war room where we prayed here at the road. And I believe God changed his mind. Christianity Today reports four in five evangelical Protestants voted for Trump on Tuesday, quote, at their highest margin since 2004, 81% voted for Trump. Quote, evangelicals strongly identified as pro-life and the top, two top party candidates' positions on abortion appear to have had a strong sway on evangelical votes, According to Pew Research, 75% of evangelical Protestants believe that having an abortion is morally wrong. So it makes sense that Democrat Hillary Clinton's extreme pro-abortion position did not sit well with this large block of voters. So what does all this mean? So I woke up the next morning, and it was not, I always have to say this because I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression, it was not an audible voice. It was not an audible voice. But in my spirit, I heard as clearly as anything the Lord say, Church, make Jesus great again. Not make America great again. Make Jesus great again. And if we make Jesus great again, he'll make America great again. And that we've been given a window of opportunity. It might only be two years. It might only be a hundred days. We don't know. But men and women, God's hand of judgment has been lifted for a period of time. And I believe this is an opportunity to make Jesus great again through the church. So I've changed. Amen. So I've changed my messages. Next week, I'm not going to be in Revelation And on Thanksgiving, I'm not going to be in Revelation, but I'm going to go back to some messages that I gave years ago on the founding of our nation. And so I'm going to talk next week on what the foundations of America were when the pilgrims came, what their vision was. And I'll give you straight quotes from the pilgrims. The next week on Thanksgiving, I'm going to speak on the Puritans and what the vision of America was. Some of you have never heard this in your schooling. That cites me, Ryan, that at TCA they were quoting the, the Gettysburg Address. But we are a nation that was founded by men and women of religion, and in our case, Christianity, who were being persecuted in Europe, and they came here with the vision that this nation will be a light on a hill That would take the gospel to the nations of the world. That is a mandate upon our country. And we've just heard Victor share about what's going to be happening in the Middle East with him. What a tremendous opportunity. We have Marcus here who works with a ministry that's all about the 1040 window and reaching into Muslim nations. We have a city, Colorado Springs, that we need to be a light on a hill to. I do not, I have zero interest in any political arguments. Zero. I'm all in for talking about Jesus. And so my son, who's at a major university in Denver, is watching stuff go crazy up there. And he's hearing stuff from his professors. And I said to him, I said, enough is enough. Set up an appointment with the chancellor. I would love to meet her personally and share some of my feelings about what's going on. Look at Luke 9.57. This seems like an obscure passage when we read it. But follow with me what Jesus is saying in Luke 9, 57. This is Jesus calling men and women to be wholehearted disciples. And in so doing, he begins to get excuses. And as we read this, think of this in terms of your own personal life, because we've all had our story, haven't we, of of not following Christ fully. Nobody follows Christ fully all the time. But also look at it as we read it as kind of a story of the church in America too. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now look at verse 62. Jesus says this. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Men and women, this is a time, a unique time in American history to once again put our hand to the plow. We do not know what forces of evil are at work to take away your freedom, to take away the opportunity that we have before us. Put your hand to the plow and move forward. And listen, be wholehearted disciples. Be all in. Be wholehearted at work. Do your job well. Start new companies. Start new works. Be entrepreneurial. But at the same time, please be a Jesus disciple. Don't cut corners. Don't show a lack of integrity. Begin to repent of your immorality. Come to Christ wholeheartedly. There's blessing awaiting you as we walk in wholehearted discipleship in everything that we do. It's a new day. It's time to be a light on a hill and a window of opportunity has been given to us. We should be judged for the immorality, the unethical behavior in businesses. Wall Street, all of that has come out loud and clear. One thing WikiLeaks has certainly shown us is the amount of hypocrisy that goes on in political arenas. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of it. And we do not have to follow the culture. We need to mold the culture. And the only way to do that is to be brave. Men and women, be brave. Be courageous. Men, be brave. Men, stand up. So here's three ways. Let me give us three ways for the the church at the road to be wholehearted Jesus' disciples. Three ways to make Jesus great again. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. Pray for revival and awakening. Men and women, that has not come yet. Have you figured that out? Revival and awakening did not come with president-elect Donald J. Trump. He's a political leader. We need a spiritual revival and awakening. I would say pray for President Obama. Pray for President-elect Trump. Every day pray for their safety. It's so crazy out there. It's not hard to believe that one of these Looney Tunes that's running around tearing up businesses, burning cars, and running in the streets wouldn't take our president's life if he had the opportunity or our president-elect's life. So pray for safety. Pray for the right kind of Supreme Court justice to be nominated. Number two. So first, pray. And we have, as you heard, the 20, our next 24-hour war room is in January. And that's where we're going to pray for 24 hours. Number two, proclaim. Number two, proclaim. What I mean by that is be a Jesus disciple... With your deeds and your words. Not just your words, but proclaim it by being it. By living it. Don't say to someone something that you're not living. Let's be authentic, winsome men and women of God. Joyful. And if you're, if you're not joyful most of the time, then, then look in the mirror and figure out why because joy is the greatest witness of the splendor and beauty of Jesus Christ his joy and then lastly thirdly remember the poor number 1 pray number 2 proclaim number 3 remember the poor never forget those that everybody else forgets never forget those who everybody else forgets the poor Those that are struggling financially, those who've hit hard times, those who've never had good times. It could be racial, it could be economic, it could be religious. We don't know why, and you know what? I don't believe it's our job to determine why someone's in that place. Our job is to love them, paint their houses, tutor their kids, be involved. Look for ways to be involved in our city and be Jesus. And I love what St. Francis of Assisi said many years ago when he said, In all things you do and wherever you go, proclaim Jesus. And if you have to, use words. (laughs) So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. We receive this word to make Jesus great again here in Colorado Springs. And God, as we open your word, as we, as we open up the book of Revelation, would you show us the, the importance in these last days of making your name great? In your name we pray. Amen. And that's my memo, okay? All right. Look at Luke chapter 4. This seems to have no uh, relevance at all to the book of Revelation, but it has a huge relevance in my opinion. But look at Luke 4. Starting at verse 18, and this is the mission of Christ. My son was recently in a class in his political science class. I was, this is one of many things that have happened to him um, at his university where the class became kind of an uproar about how the Bible supports slavery and Christianity is all about slavery and that if you believe that homosexuality is wrong, then you also have to eat shellfish or something like that. Um, <laughs> You're, you're often dealing with people that um, are, have a little or no knowledge of the scriptures. And so we were talking about how to deal with that. And I said, this is the passage you, you take it to. This is the passage you work from. By the way, I would say that to all of you. If you get off in these arguments, don't, go, don't, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Rather, stay on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now what Jesus is doing is he's quoting Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. But he leaves out a phrase, he leaves out a phrase. So look at Isaiah, go to the Old Testament, turn to the left and keep going to Isaiah 61. And Jesus was in a church setting, a synagogue setting in, in, uh, in uh, Galilee and he, and he gave that word. You could say this was Jesus' first sermon. And, um, but he doesn't say something. Pretty interesting what he doesn't say. So let me, let's quote Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, but let's see the part that he's missing too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now look at verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He said that, but then he left out the next two stanzas. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now listen, men and women, when Jesus came and we are still in a grace dispensation, we believe that these are the times and we're speaking today of a window of opportunity God gives us in America. We speak of God's love. And I've had a number of appointments with with uh, men and women here in the church talking about sharing our faith. And I share, and I believe this to be true, that I like starting any discussion that has to do with the, the basic gospel with God's love. And I believe that's where that's the direction to go is God's love. And, and that He comes to heal the broken heart and that He loves you. And then we move to sin and we talk about sin after that. But I like to start with God's love. This is the season. This is the time in history to speak of, live out, proclaim God's love. But there's a time coming, church, that the book of Revelation is giving us a opportunity to look into that is in the future. It could be beginning now, but it is definitely in the future of a time when there will be a day of vengeance of our God. Now, I find it interesting that he says... And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The reality is there's a day coming that actually the vengeance and judgment of God will be a comfort to those who are believers in Christ. Because they will have been persecuted and suffered so greatly that in that the rule and the reign of Christ coming will be a good thing. And so last week we looked at the martyrs there at the altar in the heavenly realm Crying out for vengeance. They're saying, God, they're not saying, God, oh, just love the people of the earth. This, their time is up. There will be a time when the grace period is over. And when that happens, everybody will be proclaiming that the rocks will fall on them. They'll be praying to rocks, they'll be praying to mountains that they would fall upon them because the vicious. Judgment of God is on the move. It will be violent as God moves across the face of the earth. And so we're in Revelation chapter 7. We're looking at the opening of the seals. And chapter 7 is kind of a parenthesis, a station break, as it were. In our study of the opening of the seven seals, a reprieve between the opening of the sixth seal and the seventh seal. Chapter 6, verse 17, last week we read, who will be able to stand during this period? Now, in the coming weeks, I want to deal with the rapture. I believe God's kind of giving us a little bit of a break, station break, also in relation to the series. Because next week, I want to talk about the founding of our nation, part one. And the next week on Thanksgiving weekend, the founding of our nation, part two. But when we get back, I want to talk about the rapture. And I believe it's happening here in 6 and 7, and I'll briefly touch on it here this morning, but I really want to go into more detail the next time we meet on Revelation. So, we've been looking at the martyrs who were, who were slain during this period. As I've shared with you, I don't, believe, I don't even believe this is a great tribulation period. I believe this is a lead up to the great tribulation period, and many disagree, and many agree. There's... there's have you ever, if you have a study bible there's like a million you know interpretations and uh and I'm taking my own and I kind of ride between um kind of a dispensational and uh uh mid to post view of the rapture, but I dig the pre too i mean it's kind of a pre i anyway, it's how you define it's how you define the tribulation. I'm still pre, but whatever. And then some of you are like, what is he talking about pre, and pre? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll explain it um, in, fu- in future days. And i explained it in the introduction. But you can go back and listen to that one. So here's what we're talking about in chapter 10. It's pretty interesting. 100 and, listen, 144,000 Jewish billygrams. Okay, 144,000 kosher billygrams. This is wild stuff. And by the way, it's not Jehovah's Witnesses, okay, if you had any doubt. A fourth of the world has perished from the sword of the Antichrist. There's been a mighty earthquake, and these Christian martyrs are crying out to God for vengeance. So this is our setting. The first half uh, are those who've been preserved by God during this time. The second half of the chapter shows those who have perished under the persecution of the Antichrist and we will have some insight into what all of this is happening in heaven in just a moment. So look at verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. That's what I mean. It's kind of a halftime. It's there's there's kind of this, this reprieve. And sailors call it the doldrums sailors call it the doldrums when there's no wind and so you're you're out in the ocean and literally no wind so it seems like there's going to be this period of time over the, all of the earth there's no wind and, that, and you know is that the wind of the spirit i mean is that speaking of the wind of the spirit it mean literal wind i think it probably could be both but but we know it's it's probably literal wind and it you know the earth is a globe it's only I mean, four corners the only way I can think of how to describe that would be looking at a compass. And when I look at a compass, when I'm out in the field, um, I have north, south, east, west. There's quadrants. So I, so I see that somehow God looks at the, the globe. He looks at the face of the earth in quadrants. And there's actually ways to lay out a map that show the four quadrants of the earth. So these four quadrants. And then these winds just Stop. Because of the four angels. So four mighty angels stopped the wind. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea. So these are warrior angels about to be unleashed upon the earth. Saying... Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 140,000. Listen, of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So the picture I have is that you got four angels They're watching the persecution. They're watching the church be devastated. They're watching uh, Christians going through all of this persecution, and they can't wait. They're ready to roll, they're ready to take out the bad guys. These are God's special ops. Like ready to go. And, he, and then it's almost like God says, wait, 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 wait. This is getting a little out of control. And so it's like he sends this angel from the east who's got the seal of the living God. And he has to cry out to the angels, do not, don't, don't move yet. Okay, don't harm the sea. Don't harm the earth. Don't harm the trees. Till. We have sealed the servants of God on their forehead. So here's what that says to me. It says a couple things. One, it says the angels don't have all knowledge. They don't know. God has to instruct them. They are, as the scriptures say in Hebrews, they are messengers of God. So God gives them. So they don't know. And they're just like, they're looking at this and they're watching this. And they just want to take these guys out. They can't wait. You know, and they whoa, 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 it's not time yet. Because I've got these 144,000 evangelists that I'm about to raise up across the globe. Now I'll talk more about this in three weeks when we talk about the rapture. But it's really important that we understand how God works. I believe God holds back wrath because of His love for you and me. We have so many examples in Scripture. Let me just give you a few. Noah. Noah gets insight, intelligence. From the Lord through angels that there's a flood coming and he begins to build the ark and he's saved. Lot and his family starting with Abraham getting information from from God through angels that he's about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham gets Lot and his family out and then the wrath comes. The Jews in Egypt, the angel of death comes and marks the doors. They've marked the doors. And when they see the marked doors, they pass over. And judgment comes upon the Egyptians. You remember the story with Elijah of the 5,000 prophets that the scriptures say had not bent their knee to Baal. In Ezekiel 9, the angel goes through Jerusalem and seals the forehead of those who have not given themselves to idolatry. And so, men and women, what's going to happen in these latter days is there's going to be two kinds of seals. Two kinds of marks. There's going to be the mark of the beast. And there's going to be the mark of the Lord. What we're going to see in just a moment is that God actually remembers idolatry in two of the tribes of Israel and they're missing in the list. God hates idolatry in any form. And God loves righteousness. Ephesians 1, we read this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You're already marked. Folks, you're already marked. You're marked with the seal, and it says, of the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're already marked with a seal. You can't see it, but God can see it. He knows those who are his, and the angels somehow can also see it. So then he gives the list of the tribe of Judah 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. What does that add up to? 144,000 Jews. The only similarity with Jehovah's Witnesses is the first letter. (laughs) The reason I'm saying that for you that don't know is the the Jehovah's Witnesses make a big deal about being part of the 144,000. That's the reason they're knocking on all your doors. That's the reason they're sharing their faith. is because they're trying to earn their righteousness up to being one of the 144,000. It's just... It's just a really, really sad false doctrine that these men and women are a part of. So only God knows who these Jews are. As far as we know, the, the, the roles of the tribes of Israel were actually destroyed. No one knows except through some conjecture about who and who, what Jews today are a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, I believe it's going to be a supernatural work of God, and they're going to know, and they're just going to know. So some have asked, how do you know, or what's going to necessitate 12,000 Jews? One, One belief is, and I think there's, I think all of this, what I'm about to say I think is all true, all of this plays into it. One is the rapture. I think there'll be a day when we're raptured out, when we're taken out, and and. Many, well, the whole world's going to notice, of course, but then Jews will notice and it will be a reminder to them of the one who was slain. Um, and, and many will get saved through that. Then there's going to be in chapter 11, we're going to talk about the two witnesses in Jerusalem that bring a great revival. So when we get to chapter 11, which is coming up, we're going to talk about these two witnesses that are raised up. And they're going to be on CNN, they're going to be on Fox News, they're going to be on MSNBC, ABC, CBS. They're all going to be there, you know, watching this thing. And they're going to be preaching the gospel, man. And it's going to be signs and wonders, and eventually they're going to be murdered. They're going to be killed. And everybody's watching this, and they're seeing their signs. They're going to call fire down from heaven. That's kind of significant. And so you're going to see fire coming down from heaven right there on the newscast, and many are going to get saved during that time. And then thirdly, I think it'll be a great spiritual awakening. Just a sovereign work of God in the timing of the Lord. And the Jews will come forth and become Jesus followers. 29 times in the Bible, the tribes of the nation of Israel are mentioned. First in Genesis 35. The last listing in Ezekiel 48, which looks to the kingdom age... That listing is exactly like the first listing in Genesis 35, God fulfilling his covenant as he had first promised. Now, this is what's interesting. Ephraim and Dan are omitted. Ephraim and Dan are omitted here. That lends itself to Deuteronomy 29, where God says he will curse any of the tribes that bring idolatry into the nation of Israel. Do you realize there could be a curse on your family because of your ancestors? Do you realize there could be a curse over your life because of things that have been said to you or or things that people put on you, assignments from the enemy? There's assignments from the enemy. But do you know you can break that? You can break that in the power of the Holy Spirit and reject that in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And so, Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned because of Deuteronomy 29, we believe. Thus, under God's covenant, God will bless those tribes in the original list. But for God's service in the latter days, Dan and Ephraim are omitted. Now, let me just say this. I don't think that means that those who are part of the tribes of Dan and Ephraim are cursed. I'm saying that they're omitted by God's sovereignty in the last days, being used in an evangelistic way. So a beautiful picture of God's preservation. Look at Romans 11. Romans 11:25. 25. This is what Paul says. About Israel. For I do not desire brethren. That you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise. In your own opinion. That blindness in part. Has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles. Has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So church, God is not done with Israel. He is not done with Israel yet. There is a day of an awakening and revival. Verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. It seems to indicate we have bodies up there. We're not floating around like angels. We have bodies. You have to be clothed. You can't put clothing on a spirit. But it's, it's, it's on a body. With palm branches in their what? Hands. So we, you're going to get your 30-year-old body back. Maybe 22. Whichever body you want, I think God will give you the best one. So you'll be great. To me, like 28, somewhere in there was pretty good years. Not 38. That was not, those were not those weren't good years. Not good. Little too many donuts at night. So he's probably speaking here of the Feast of Tabernacles as I see it. A worldwide harvest. Don't miss this. is a worldwide harvest of all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. If you have friends in Japan or Mexico or England, you're going to see them all. You're all going to be there. We're going to be hanging out. I believe this is the raptured church. I believe this is the martyrs. I believe it's all of us all together from all these different tribes and nations. There'll be sushi enchiladas. Sashimi tacos. You know. (laughs) Spaghetti jambalaya. I don't know. And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing. And glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's why we worship, folks. One of the reasons we worship is we're practicing for heaven. You know, when we worship, we're practicing for heaven because you're going to be doing that. And we're going to be serving God. I mean, we're going to be serving the Lord. I think He's got assignments in heaven for us to do. And I don't know what they are. I don't know if there's other planets like the earth that are out there that still need to be, you know, redeemed. I don't know. I mean, that sounds a little spooky. What are you talking about? Oh, Steve's getting really a nutcase. You know. but uh, I don't know. But I just know that for, for you, most of us guys in this room, seriously, sitting and just worshiping all the time is like not, doesn't sound that exciting to me. I'm sorry. And uh, I know for all the you guys that are worshipers and love to worship. I mean, I love to worship. I do. But like 24, it's like, ugh, I don't know. I mean, uh, soup. Uh, after a while, it's kind of, what do you say, you know? So I think there's going to be service. I think there's going to be jobs for us to do. We're going to look at that, you know, here, and I think there's, you'll worship some, but you'll be worshiping by doing stuff, too. Um, maybe we'll be fixing cars. That, that sounds a little better. You know, we'll, fit, we'll worship the Lord, or we put in a new carburetor. You know, I don't know. But the reality is, is that there's, a, there's going to be in those days, and we're a part of the edge of it, I think we're on the edge of it, this worldwide revival. And it's going to be crazy, you guys. Churches are going to get planted. Um, we're going to go into, you know, territory that, that the enemy's held for thousands of years, and God will use us. He will use some of you in ways. You're going to have a business, and you're going to get this opportunity maybe to go to... Uh, To um, a nation in the Middle East or someplace in South America or Africa. And while you're there, you're going to plant a church. You you went there to, you know, start a a business, but you're going to plant a church because you're going to be so filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to look around and go, whoa, that's why I'm here. That's why I came here. Be open to that, gang. Be looking around and look for these opportunities that are before you to utilize your life in a word and spirit way that will be astounding and amazing. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and, listen, serve him day and night. Underline that. Serve him day and night in his temple. There's so service going on in this, in this great temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. That's why I believe you'll have this like 30-year-old body and it'll always be the same from eternity you're not going to be eating bad food because you're not going to be hungry or thirsty anyway. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. You're not going to be sunburned. Pretty good. No skin cancer in heaven. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what God wants to do. This is what we have to look forward to, church. This life is as bad as it gets for the believer. And for the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets for you guys. But this is what we have to look forward to. Let me give you eight blessings of being a Jesus disciple. I want to give you eight blessings of being a Jesus disciple as it relates to going to heaven. I observe eight blessings in, Roman, in uh, excuse me Revelation 6 and 7. Number one, we will be fully conscious and able to interact, pray, and communicate with the Lord and each other all the time. So it's not like you're in some dreamy soul sleep. I talked about that last week. There's no such thing as soul sleep, another false doctrine. But we'll be able to interact, we'll be able to talk, we'll be conscious. Number two... We'll be able to see. We'll be able to see what's happening on the earth and be fully conscious of God's plan on the earth. So we're going to see it. And we talked about that last week. Remember, they're looking at the earth. They're seeing what's happening on the earth. And they're crying out to God to do something. So they're fully conscious of what's happening on the earth. I believe your relatives that are with the Lord right now see how you're living your life right now. Now, I'm not saying we pray to the saints or do we pray to our relatives. Because God has to do the work. It just says that they cry out to God for you. But God's the one who answers prayer and God's the one who changes things on the earth, not our dead relatives. But I think they're conscious of what's going on. It's right, it's pretty clear here. Number three, we will be in a state of rest. So not, not soul sleep, but we will be in a state of rest, real rest. I mean like Hawaii. I mean like 10 hours. You can sleep in for 10 hours. And you wake up and you go to the pool. Or you go snorkeling. Rest. All the time. Isn't that pretty cool? So I think there'll be a, there'll be, there's going to be rest there. No worries. Number four. We will be in the presence of the Lord. So we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ all the time at the throne. Number five. We're not going to be floating around. We're going to be serving God in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us what we're doing. It just says they're serving the Lord. Serving means activity. We're going to be moving out. We're going to be doing stuff. We're going to be about the Lord's business there. Number six. We will be fully protected with all of our needs being fully met. You'll be fully protected. All your needs will be fully met. Number seven. Number seven. We will have a full and growing relationship with the Lord every day. It will be a full and growing intimacy with the Lord every day. And then number eight, we will have no more pain, no depression, no anxiety, and no concerns. That's pretty good. That's the intention, men and women, that's the intention of God for you. He loves you that much. And I'll hear people say, well... You know, if I come to know Christ, he'll take away all my fun. I can't go to Cripple Creek anymore. I can't have casual sex anymore. I can't get drunk anymore. I can't go to Vegas anymore and blow all my money. He wants to take away all my fun. I can't snort cocaine anymore. Are you kidding me? I think the Lord would say, I'm sorry. You won't be able to get AIDS anymore. You won't get cirrhosis of the liver I'm so sorry that you'll have money in your bank account that you didn't blow in Cripple Creek in Vegas. It's so sad for you. I can't get hepatitis anymore. What a drag. <laughs> Quiet murmurs through the <laughs> church. I came that you might have a life and might have it abundantly. Abundantly. It's exciting that in Christ we're alleviated of so much suffering just simply by walking with Christ. It's a really good deal. I like being married to one woman. I like staying faithful to her. I like raising my kids in God's word. I like standing up and fighting for them and battling for, for righteousness with them. I like having my kids have to fight and battle to be Christians where they go. I'm glad that, that God has wired us for struggle and that we're stronger when we struggle. I'm glad that just like, you know, weightlifting and exercise, when you train yourself, you get stronger, same way spiritually. That, you know, when we go into situations and we have to navigate, we need God's wisdom and guidance that it makes you a stronger person. I'm glad that I don't have a ton of time, free time, on my hands to go and mess around. I'm glad that sometimes my schedule's so busy with the things that relate to family and church and the work of the Lord, I just don't have time to take a trip to Cripple Creek. I don't have a chance to go, you know, up to uh, Blackhawk or whatever it is, you know. I don't have time to go cruise southern Colorado Springs and look for a prostitute. I just don't have time. Man, I'm missing out on so much stuff. (laughs) I'm glad that when I came to know the Lord, I started hanging out with believers And the girls got way prettier. The girls in Campus Crusade were a lot more foxy than anything I saw at the bars and grills down in Athens, Georgia. And I'm not real smart. I'm from Georgia. But I figured it out. Hmm. You marry who you date. And I want to date a really good looking gal. I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to Campus Crusade, man. (laughs) Because I figured it out also at 18, 19 years old that there was something about the physical beauty of a woman that bespoke of the beauty of her heart. And same with the kind of guys that were there. There was a beauty about them. There was a handsomeness. There was a masculinity about them because of their heart. So you're really, really smart to follow Jesus. And he really will give you an abundant life.